Hi, welcome to Grafted Jewish Roots of Christianity. I'm your host, Stephanie Pavlantos. Today, I have Juanita Weiss with me. She, let me just read a few of her accomplishments. She's been um, quite involved in a lot of the different things. She is an author. She has um, a few books and she has collaborated with others in those books. She's been an English teacher and a journalism teacher. She is a Bible teacher, a speaker, um, and she is in ministry with her husband, who is a rabbi. David is his name, and they have Weiss Ministries. Um, and this ministry, and I'll have her say a little bit more about this, but she describes it as that it serves as a bridge between diverse cultures. Um, she is also, one last thing I want to mention is she is, um, Mora and that is spelled M-O-R-A-H. And I'm going to have her explain what that means. So she's got a little bit of explaining to do here and I'm going to give her that opportunity. So thank you for being with me today. Oh, Stephanie, thank you so much for allowing me to be a part of your show and just to share with your audience. It's just such a blessing to be here. Um, let's see, where should I start? How about Mora? M-O-R-A-H. Yes. Just so yeah. people understand what I'm saying. No, well, I like to spell it, but go ahead. Mora is, Mora. yeah, it means teacher and it is the female version of teacher. Moray mm-hmm. is the female uh, version. So I had such a blessed opportunity to um, go through a yeshiva. Uh, mm-hmm. It is a messianic yeshiva and it's uh, actually, it's the largest online messianic yeshiva. And when I started out, um, just was so excited to be able to learn from a Hebraic uh, perspective. I was already in a Messianic congregation and had learned a lot. But when I uh, realized that there was going to be this yeshiva opening, I wanted to be a part of it. And little did I know that it would take uh, five years of training just to get that kind of certification, if you will. Uh, ordination. So I was ordained as Mora Torah, which means teacher of the Torah. So uh, it, it was um it was an intense training, but it was so valuable, and I'm so blessed that uh, Hashem um, Adonai gave me the opportunity to go through it. Yes, that's wonderful. That sounds intense. It, it was intense, but it was it was so amazing, so amazing. Yeah. I bet it was. That's um, what an awesome opportunity because, I mean, it's a long commitment, five years, but boy, what you come out on the other side with, I can only imagine the um, understanding you have of the scriptures and of the 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 Jewish language and the the culture and how all of that comes together to really help us understand scripture better. Yes, uh, you're exactly right. Even the way, because what I really wanted to do, because I'd gone through Bible college and mm-hmm. learned inductive Bible study, which was just an eye opener for me. And I, I just thank God for allowing me to do all of that. But then I wanted to learn from a Hebraic perspective. And so the whole, um, <clears throat> study of scripture is different. Um, you know, especially the way the rabbis look at scripture and how, <laughs> 
every little detail, right? From the very matter of the word, the very flourish of the word, you know, uh, just that idea where Yeshua says that not one jot or tittle that right. we see in the King James Version, but not one yod or flourish, right? Not the yod being the very smallest letter of the uh, Hebrew Aleph Bet. And the flourish, when we take a look at a Torah scroll, you've got to see the little curly cues on some of the letters. And that's like mm. the flourish. And he's saying not even a flourish will pass away, you know, uh, from his right. word. So heaven and earth will, but not one yod and not right. flourish. So, so it was just so amazing to see it, even from that perspective, to see what Yeshua said from that perspective. Yeah. And I don't think we always understand that. Um, now, I would say my audience probably has a lot of Christians who are interested in the Hebrew roots, but I'm sure there's probably some Messianics um, who watch it. I'm sure there are. I, I just, I don't, I don't ever get to see like exactly who is, you know, the kinds of people who listen. Um, so I try to figure it out by like maybe some of the comments I get, but having said that, I just think that we don't really understand that his word's not passing away, what that all entails, right? Because, because everything that we try to say doesn't exist anymore or isn't for us, or, you know, no matter what denomination or what, whether you go to a messianic or Gentile church, there are certain things that different denominations or different groups of Christians will say, this is not for us, or this will not, this is not for now. This was only New Testament. This was only Acts. This was only Torah. This was only for the Jews. But here, when he says that nothing, the smallest tiny letter, the smallest little, like you said, those little curly cues and things, not even those will pass away. How can we think that? all this other stuff doesn't apply if it's never going to pass away. So you're exactly right. Because when you consider at the time at which Yeshua was speaking, there was no there was no new Testament. What was right. he talking about? He was talking about Torah. He was talking about Tanakh, right? The, the, the prophets and the writings, that's what he was talking about. And he said that not one yod of that word will pass away. Not one. Right. right. So, yeah. So if he said that, it would behoove us to embrace every yod and every flourish. That's right. That's right. That's very uh, good. That's very uh, good. You teach a lot. You have a show on the Messianic Lamb Network um, in which it's you and your husband, David. Correct. So let me just ask you this. Like, I know that you know so much of the Torah. I didn't really ask you this ahead of time, but I just kind of thought about this when you were speaking. But why should Christians in the church, you know, that aren't necessarily Messianic, why is it a good idea for them to study the Torah? What what would they gain from understanding the Torah? Yeah. Yeah. You know, just first of all, our Messiah is Jewish, right? Our Messiah is Jewish. And this is the the culture that he was reared in. He grew up in. He came, first of all, everything, as he says, right? Everything that Moses spoke, talked about him, 
everything, everything the prophets shared, you know, when he's on the road to Emmaus and he opens up their understanding and begins to show them himself, beginning with Moses, all the way through the prophets, the writings, they all speak of the Messiah. And if those um, books speak of the Messiah, why would we not want to read it? Why would we not want to glean this understanding? Because this, the, the understanding that we have of Jesus, it's beautiful. It's what brought us salvation, the knowledge that we had. Mm-hmm. And then once they are, it's, we realize it's not enough because oftentimes in the church, we say salvation is it. It's the end game. I'm going to heaven and that's it. But Yeshua is saying there's just a whole world that now is open to you to know about me. And if he is the lover of your soul, if he is really the reason your heart beats, then you want, you'll want to know everything about him. And right. beloved, you will not know everything about him just by the Brit Hadashah. He said everything before me, everything that they spoke about, you know, okay. speaks of me. Even the um, in, in the Talmud, it says all the writings of the prophets mm-hmm. spoke for the days of the Messiah. Mm-hmm. Even they knew it, that they may not believe um, that Yeshua is that Messiah, but they knew that a Messiah was going to come and that everything that the Tanakh, the Old Testament spoke about pointed mm-hmm. to Mashiach. And I would just appeal that way. Like you love him. I know that you do. Before I knew anything about the Jewishness of Yeshua, I loved him. I loved Jesus. Mm -hmm. And then when he opened my eyes, I'm like, I only could love him more Mm -hmm. because this is who he is Mm -hmm. and how he came to us. Right. Right. And and in my podcast, I, I really love going back to the Old Testament because I feel like we're really, we live in a society that is becoming more and more Bible illiterate. And if we know the New Testament, chances are we don't study the old. And as I said, I mean, there's this growing um, number of pastors and churches that aren't teaching out of the Old Testament. My my son's going to a church right now and he's in a small group and the leader himself admitted that he doesn't like the Old Testament. He goes, he goes, I like God in the New Testament. I don't like God in the Old Testament. Um, it's the same God, <laughs> you know, as if like he changed, you, you know, he suddenly changed and he didn't. But I think it's sad because we miss out on what's in the the Old Testament. But but you don't have to be a messianic believer to go on Google or whatever search engine you use and and look for Torah portions because it's a great way to start understanding the Old Testament and especially the Torah because they go through this yearly. They they spend a whole year going through Genesis through Deuteronomy, um, maybe four or five chapters at a time, but you you listen to different people and their take on those four chapters. You could listen to a dozen people and learn something different yes. about Genesis one through four. So it's a great way. You don't have to be Jewish. You don't have to be a Messianic believer to tune in and listen to a Torah portion. And the Messianic Lamb Network is great for that. You you, and your husband 
what is your main thing that you teach there or or maybe that's not the right word but what is your emphasis maybe on well, the messianic limb network yes so um when we came to the network actually we we did want to uh teach torah and i think uh as you said most of the the shows there feature that a teaching on torah mm-hmm. um so even with the name, we wanted to come up with something that had really spoken to us even throughout the years. And mm-hmm. and there's a um, a prayer, it's a liturgical prayer called Ashray. And mm-hmm. Ashray, it means, well, it means so many different things. But I just remember that uh, coming into Messianic Judaism and I wanted a Hebrew name um, and I you know, the the Rivka, the Sarah, the Miriams, all all of those were amazing. But I read uh, Ashray. I read um, uh, even the Beatitudes. Each of the Beatitudes begins with an Ashray, right? And mm-hmm. it means blessed. But it means more than that. It means fortunate. It means all the gladness of. Mm-hmm. It means happy. Even all of those words, you see how many different words in different translations where they try to capsulate the idea of ashray. Well, it means all of that and more, right? Mm-hmm. So we're like, we're bringing you an hour where you can be blessed, right? Mm-hmm. And the greatest blessing that we can ever uh, get is from Torah. So right. every week I write a Torah nugget. It's just a nugget, just a um um, just a hint of something that I've, I've lifted from the Torah portion. And we get an opportunity to discuss just that nugget okay. uh, every week. And then we invited a guest on and that guest oftentimes gets to and um, discuss that nugget with us. So we mm-hmm. can have very, very robust conversations about just that nugget for the week. And it's only a right. nugget, right? There's so much more as you're saying. There's yeah. So- but I'm sorry, I'm sure just that nugget, you, you'll get a lot of knowledge, a lot of information and understanding from that. Yes. And you bring up a great subject because we think of Matthew 5 as having the Beatitudes. Um, and like you said, it means happy. And I did a whole series on my my website about the Beatitudes and it's happy are those. And that's how it can be translated. And I think when we read those and insert that word happy, we get a whole different idea of what they're talking about. It's not just about being physically blessed or even spiritually blessed. It, it means we're, we're going to be glad. It's the gladness of and the happiness of doing these things, hungering and thirst after his righteousness. It's, it's, it's going to make us happy, right? I mean, it's, it's really going to change our life and our attitude to do those things. It's going, no matter what else is going on around us, we can have happiness in in those things that the beatitudes talk about but there's many more beatitudes throughout scriptures we see them in job we see them in the psalms happy is the man i mean we constantly see that phrase and and that comes from the the root word asher right or the word asher so that's pretty cool i think that's really interesting i didn't even put that together until you mentioned it that the the title of your program is that word. So that's it. That's it. It's just a moment to be blessed. And 
um, you know, about the Beatitudes that you were saying, someone said this, that if you take all of the information from social science and from um, uh, psychologists mm. and just just from people who are about who are about, you know, even the ascetics. Mm. Right. You take all of that information and you put it all together and you condense it. Right. right. It still would not measure up to the Beatitudes. It still would not be measure up. This is how you live. This is how you are happy. This is how we exist. And it's all about the heart. Mm, it is. It's all about the heart. Yeah. It's that's that's the happiness. And it, it's not contingent upon anything else in the world. Right. right? It's contingent upon our relationship with him. I, I just remember when I was at, um, an early believer, early Christian, and I read this and I kind of walked away a little despondent mm-hmm. because I could not find myself there. Right. I get, I, I'm like, all of these people are blessed. Well, where am I? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. But then he, he just began to show me that this is a place in Messiah, right? This is a place in him. And this is where we find the greatest happiness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even first Corinthians, um, 13. So when you think of all those love is love is and, and what love isn't, you know, love does, does not keep record, but love is patient. Love is kind. I mean, if it's, it's actually a description of God more than what we can do because we can't do those things without God, but God is, it's actually, when I first read it this way, if you take love out and put God's name or put Jesus or, you know, Yeshua. I mean, then it's a really a true picture of what that is because of who he is. He's the one who is patient and kind, and he's the one who does not keep record of our wrongs. And we don't have that ability without him. I mean, I, so true. So true. I mean, that we move, live, breathe, exist yeah. because of him, right? It's it is. all about him. It's really neat, so. though. It just, I think it's just such, to me, at least, I love to see something in scripture like that, that helps me, like, man, that just seals it for me. That has helped me understand who Yeshua is, who God is. And even in the Beatitudes, for me, it became like, the one that says, blessed is the one who mourns. And we're not talking about just mourning over the death of someone or grieving. It's a mourning over our own sin. It's, it's true repentance and mourning over our evilness and our, our criticalness and our judgmental. I mean, everything that we do and everything that we are in the flesh, it's mourning over those things. And then we will be comforted because he promises to comfort us when we truly mourn, right? I mean, that was an eye-opener, understanding what those words meant. And yeah, that that whole idea, right, of mourning, it's so, um, I think it's in the uh, book of Ezekiel, can't remember offhand the chapter, but Adonai speaks and he sends the angel out and he tells this angel to mark in the forehead those who are mourning and grieving on behalf of the sins of the people, because these are the ones who will be protected. So there's this idea 
uh, when we mourn, you know, it's so easy. It is so easy because mm-hmm. the world does it. It's so easy to see sin and point at it and say, I can't believe they're doing this. And I, and I would never do that. It's so easy to do that. But when we, our hearts are broken because of what we see, because our hearts are broken, like Hashem's heart is broken, right? Over what he sees, just as Abraham stood before Hashem in in, uh, Genesis um, 17, he he stood before him and now he has Hashem's heart. And now he can say, could you save Sodom and Gomorrah? If I can, if you can find 50 righteous, he says, yes, I'll do that. And he goes down, you know, because what is Abraham doing? He's grieving. He's picked up the heart of the father. And now he's grieving on behalf of the sins that are there. Lord, certainly there are righteous people there. Would you save the whole city, right? Not just the righteous people. Would you save the city if you can find the righteous in there? And it's really when we can get to that place of mourning, and grieving over what we see as opposed to pointing the finger and looking looking down on those who are doing what the world does, right? We did it when we were in the world, right? Thank, thank you, Father, that somebody prayed right. for us and somebody mourned over what we were doing. But no. anyway. No, you're right, box. though. Yeah, right. That, yeah, yeah, that touches my heart because he grieves, he grieves. Um, over sin, should we not be doing the Amen. same? Thing? That's right, and and you brought up a lot of great points because you you have my mind going all over the place. But um, <laughs> but it shows the heart of Abraham, right? Um, and and I think even we can talk about David. I mean, the Lord's loving kindness—that's that covenant loyalty, and we don't we aren't very loyal people. Um, God is so faithful. And, and, and I think, oh, when you and I were talking, we were talking a little, and this kind of ties in with what, where my mind's going. But when you and I were talking, we were talking about the, um, the month that we're in, this is September. So this isn't going to actually play until probably October, November, but this month is, why can't I say that? But, um. But there's a lot of uh, thinking to do in this month of of even the feast is um, of trumpets is about repentance. It's about um, and that's the feast that we're going to be going into next. But but we also talked about not just the repentance, but it's like you you explained it well with the party. Do you want to kind of repeat that? What you told me, how you see that, you know, the God's appointed times are like his party plans and we're all invited. And you explained it really well, if you want to repeat that. You know, I wish I had that invitation in front of me because it's it's just uh, really the way the Lord gave it to me. It's like, um, if, if, if God invited you to a party, would you come? Mm-hmm. Would you change everything in your schedule, your planner, to make that appointment. Would you stop the world to make that appointment if he says, I want to meet with you? Well, that's what he has done. And he does it throughout the year, seven times throughout the year. He calls us to meet with him. And here's the thing. 
when we throw a party and we want him to come, I think all of you have done that. Every church service is a party. Every revival is a party. Everything we have at church is a party that we have called and we ask him to come. Right. And he's so gracious. You know what he does? He shows up because he's so gracious. So why would we stand him up? And that's the point I was, I was thinking that was the end result that even in our unfaithfulness, he is still faithful to us. He is still comes when we ask him to show up, he will show up. Even though we don't, even though we were too busy. Uh, I mean, you know, I know, I mean, we have a small farm and we have sheep and we've had a lamb and some mornings, you know, I get out of a habit of meeting with him because it's like, oh, I got to go get the lamb. I got to go feed the lamb. And because she, she's actually just not to go off on a tangent here, but she's had some mobility issues. So I have to get her up. I have to physically stand her up and hold her to eat. And, and so, you know, my first thought a lot of mornings is getting out there because she's going to be yelling and crying and she can't get to her food. But yet, I forget that my food, my nourishment is that spending the time with the Lord. It's, it's my nourishment for the day as well. And if I go out and I try to do other things without nourishing my own soul and my own heart, then I'm missing out. But yet, even when I don't show up, he's still there. Yes, he is. He, he, all, he always comes. There's this song, uh, I don't know, the Helsers, I love them, but it's like, um, you don't have to come, but you always mm-hmm. do. And he, he doesn't, but he always does when we fight him and he is knocking at the door. I mean, that picture, we've seen it like on so many church fans, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Of Yeshua, Jesus, they're knocking at the door. Well, that's what right. he's doing. He's knocking at the door and he's just saying open the door open the Mm -hmm. door and and can you believe here's the thing can you believe that even though we throw these parties and invite him to come and he comes he's still knocking at the Mm -hmm. door he's still knocking at the door even when he comes to our parties he's still knocking because we haven't gotten the real revelation and the true revelation of who right. he is. Right. You don't have to be Jewish to go to his party, as we've been saying. You don't have to be Jewish to keep Passover. You don't have to be Jewish. And it's not. And we think of them as a Jewish holidays, but they're the Lord's feasts. It's all about him. It's it's about what he did, not about what the Jews did. Exactly. Because first of all, you know, they're, as he said, these are my feasts. And because they're his feasts, he can invite anybody else that he wants to the feast. And it is true. He gave them to Mm -hmm. Israel to steward, but we know in stewarding them, they were to be exposed to the, Mm -hmm. to the nations, right? He even makes um, some concessions for those of uh, the the gerim, right. those from the nations who who want to come in and celebrate. Well, there are, there's a prerequisite, you know, the idea of circumcision, and we're not talking about that literally now. But the idea is you you want to right. have a circumcised heart. When that's what he's talking mm-hmm. about, right? Ultimately, when we go 
to Galatians, it's it's really the circumcised heart that he's talking about. So if you have a circumcised heart, you'll want to participate in his parties, in his mm-hmm. feasts. These are his, and he wants the nations to be involved in this. He wants all and of we us will to be, be involved in, in the millennial kingdom and heaven. Yeah. We, we will, he will have us, all the nations will come to Jerusalem. Yes. They will come. And you know what's so, so beautiful? I, I mean, I don't really understand the, all the ramifications of it, but those who have been celebrating now, because you know, like I know that the idea of these Chagim, these Moedim are mm-hmm. all about a rehearsal. I, it's a rehearsal for that which to come. Every one of them is a rehearsal. Well, if we're rehearsing, then what are we rehearsing for? We're rehearsing for the great debut, right? The opening night, (laughs) if you will. And so those who have been Mm. rehearsing, there's a place that you will play. There's something, there's a part that you will play that is so important and so significant. And I don't know the total ramifications of that, but if he tells you to do this, then there's a reason that he's telling you to do it. And if he's inviting you into it because we have been grafted in, then there is a reason that he's telling us to do this. And he wants us as a part of this. He wants. Wow. That's a really good point because you think of one of many, I mean, the feast of trumpets is the head of the year. It's, it's, it's all about the blowing of the trumpet, but it's also about the coordination of the King. So how does that play out? You know, I mean, it's interesting to think about, is there, is there, I mean, do you believe there's actually going to be a coordination where we crown him as king, not just in a spiritual or we know he is, but physical ceremony someday that we will crown him as king? Yeah, you know what? There there has to be, as you were talking about the month of Elul this, this month leading up to the, um, actually... We know that uh, he, uh, the Jewish people have several calendars. And so there is this calendar that begins in Tishri, which is more of a, the civil year, but this is the month, um, that where we find the holidays in, right? The three holidays, the fall holidays. But this is the month that was used to start the reign of, to count the reign of the kings. Mm. This is the month where the kings were crowned. Right. Okay. (laughs) And in Messianic Jewish understanding, it is believed that this is the time that the Messiah will return. You know, whether he does or not on this day, that's up to him. But he's given us signposts. Mm -hmm. He's given us rehearsals. There's a rehearsal. And, you know, the first time that I really started talking or understanding Yom Teruah, the the day of the sounding is what mm-hmm. it is. Mm-hmm. In in the in Leviticus, it doesn't tell us why we sound the trumpets. Just the, there's supposed to be a day that the trumpet is sounded all day. Mm-hmm. And in Jewish thought, I think it's blown like some 100 times yes. on Yom Teruah. That's what I've heard right? too. Yeah. So here's the thing. 
if it's blown and he tells us to do it and the church is not hearing it. I, I wept when I got that revelation. I'm like, what are we missing out on? You're saying, okay, we read first Corinthians 15 and we know that there's going to be a final trumpet. We preach that mm-hmm. we all the time in the church, you know, that, that great, that, that last trump. Right. Well, what this, what we're doing in Yom Teruah is a rehearsal for that last trump. Can it be that though it sounds so loudly as it did, it beckons back to Mount Sinai Mm -hmm. when they heard this long blast and Mm -hmm. Shem tells them, this is the time that you're to go up the mountain Mm -hmm. because oftentimes we think they were just supposed to be at the, at the, the, in the valley at the base of the mountain. But there's a time he says, when you hear that long blast, you come up. Well, they heard the long blast. And what happened? They were so fearful of mm-hmm. it that they had to run away. Well, the book of Revelation tells us that on that day they're going to they're going to say, "Let the mountains fall on us to protect us and hide us from Him, yes. from from the One who has come." Well, it's the same thing, mm-hmm. and He says, "Rehearse it, rehearse it." There are sounds that are be to be made, and unless the the shofar blower blows the right sound. How would we know to to defend ourselves for battle? Yes. How would we know to prepare ourselves? We would miss all of that. And so I just wept when the Lord gave me that revelation. I'm like, Lord, the the church needs to hear this. They already know that the the sound is going to come. Right. We all prepare for that sound. Yeah. It's the preparation. It's the process. Mm. Because there will be a great crowning of the king. We see it. We see it. It's there. John saw it yes. happen. Hashem allowed him, the Ruach allowed him to look into the, the heavenlies. He saw it mm-hmm. beyond space and time. Mm-hmm. He saw it. It will happen. It will. Yes. And I mean, and that's such good news. And I think we just, we get so caught up in semantics and the... I don't know, even the letter of the law, you know, um, I know in, I was reading, um, in, in the trapped Messiah, um, which is one of your books. So it's called the trapped Messiah and I'll, and I'll leave links to your books as well. But the, um, sometimes we've got different movements within the, like a Hebrew roots movement and, and the messianic movement. And you have, and believe it or not, I mean, some people may surprise them that, there's a lot of Christians we might refer to as Gentiles leaving the church as we know it and going into Messianic congregations and Hebrew roots movements and stuff. But, but it's all not perfect. And I'm I'm not trying to paint a picture that it's all good and it's all perfect, but there's this big kind of discussion about how we say Yeshua's name. And you kind of write about that, that he's actually, we trap him even in his name, because we want to say it this way or that way. And, um, and while there's nothing at all wrong with Jesus, but that's, it's all more the Hebrew words. I think that we kind of get caught up in and wanting to like, Oh no, we know how to say this word the best. And, um, and I've heard those kinds of arguments. So you, you want to touch on that a little bit? Do you mind going there? Yes. Um, 
you, you know, coming coming out of the church, I was raised Baptist and then went into an apostolic church. And so I was in in um, that for a long time. And then when um, God just opened my eyes to uh, a Hebraic understanding mm-hmm. of the scripture, the Jewish understanding of the scripture and the Jewish Messiah. And now even, you know, even to form my tongue mm-hmm. to say Yeshua was difficult. Mm-hmm. It was difficult for me. And even in my mindset, I'm thinking I'm doing a disservice to Jesus because I'm saying Yeshua, you know, I'm, I th- and then I'm thinking, well, there's power in the name of Jesus because that's how we were taught, which is true. Well, is there power in the name of Yeshua? And then to think that, you know, this idea, this is who he was, this is how he was called. But just as he comes to our parties, mm-hmm. he he deigns to come when we call him, you know, uh, in, in an English way, in a Spanish way, right. he just comes. And it's all about the heart of the person. I mean, do you, would you like to call him Yeshua? Because if you do, that was his Hebrew name. Mm-hmm. But he is not going to put up a roadblock if you don't. Right. He's not going to put up that mm-hmm. roadblock. And so it's it's us in our mindsets that we trap him in mm-hmm. that way. Mm-hmm. And it's so is it's so hard for us because we we've all been indoctrinated by a name, by a custom, by a system. Right. And now just accepting the Jewishness of Yeshua does not mean you have to call him Yeshua. Right. But ultimately, you probably will mm-hmm. once you understand that that's what his mom called him. Right. right? And that's what his father called him. Right. Mm-hmm. You shall have a son and you shall g- give his name. You shall call him Yeshua. Right. For he will save his people from his sins. And for in Yeshua, of course, is the word for salvation. So And doesn't yeah. it literally mean God saves or God I is say. my salvation or something like that? So yes. yeah. It's a beautiful name, right? It's a beautiful name. Hey, it's a powerful it name. Yeah, it is. Um well we've hit on a lot and I know that we talked a little we don't have but a couple minutes left, but anything you would like to add? that we didn't like maybe that you had thought about it and you didn't get a chance to add yet. Yeah. Well, uh, since this is, we'll be airing of course in, in October. And so we're headed into actually 2024 mm-hmm. and we're coming out of five. Um, well, we're also in the Hebrew month of five, seven, eight, four. And just that idea of the doors that uh, Hashem gives us an opportunity to walk through that the only, you know, five, seven, eight, four, the only number that changes is a four, four, uh, you know, the Dalit in Hebrew mm-hmm. is, is door, um, is a symbol for door. And so he, he's calling us just as he's knocking at that door, right? He's just calling us open the door, walk through that door. So I don't know what door that is for you this year, but it's open. It's open. He's there. He's knocking at it. All you have to do is let him in. Mm-hmm. 
And um, it, it's it's a beautiful walk that we all have, Jew and Gentile together. Mm-hmm. It's how he wanted it to be, right? When he when he when Yeshua came to his Talmudim, his disciples, and he sent them out. He says, "Y'all want you to start in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then I want you to go to the Eshkaton. I want you to go to the ends of the earth, right? Right? And then because that's what he's going to call back to that great feast." That will that will all sit at the table with Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. It's going to be a glorious time. Awesome. Thank you so much, Stephanie, just for allowing me to share that. You're welcome. Well, it's been a pleasure. Um, I'm so happy that you were able to be on today, and I enjoyed speaking with you so much. And I hope the audience does too, because I, I think that, um, and I encourage you to go to her messianic glam, her her husband David and Juanita. And they um, have that show on Messianic Lamb, and um, you will learn a lot. So, and her books, and so I'll make sure I leave links to all those things, and you'll be able to find them. So, thank you so much. Thank you, Stephanie. Blessings. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. You can find me at graftedjewishroots.com. Please check out my Bible study, Jewels of Hebrews, on my website, and I also have a Facebook page under the same name. Join me every Wednesday for a new episode of Grafted Jewish Roots of Christianity. Thank you for listening.